Well, take your Bibles this morning and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 is where we're going to be, and we're just going to look at one main verse this morning and draw some truths out of it. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And let me just say, if you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible, we have a stack of new Bibles in the back. We'd love to give you one as our gift to you if you need one. If that's the case, lift up your hand. I'll make sure one of the guys give you a Bible. If you don't have one, there's plenty back there that are really nice. Anybody need one? Go ahead and raise your hand, and uh, we'll make sure you get one. Don't, don't be bashful. That's what they're there for. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Well, over and over again, Paul has been discussing the importance of standing firm on the truth of God's Word, firm on sound teaching. And it seems like this is a, a common theme throughout all of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, because remember, Paul is in a jail cell. He's not going to be able to do much more work with the churches that he's been working with. He's handing the baton off to Timothy, so to speak. And the reality of it is that he is making sure that he understands that we have a grasp on the importance of God's Word and that we stand on the truth thereof. And so Paul has been discussing the importance of standing firm on this truth, the truth of God's Word, especially in the face of false teaching. We know that just like it was in that day, it's in our day, and we have to stand for what we know is true, not what we may want it to be. We were talking about that in Sunday school this morning, how so many pastors, so many churches are designing a God of their, choose, of their choosing. And uh, it's not smorgasbord Christianity, is it? It's not a smorgasbord gospel. It's not a smorgasbord word of God. Uh, we don't get to pick and choose what parts we want to believe and what parts we want to dis- discard off to the side. It's either all or nothing, right? And we know that we stand on the inerrant word of God, so Paul specifically named last week a couple of men who had been who had who were uh, basically turning uh, the gospel into something else, turning the truth into something else, and he called them out on it. And so uh, he named these teachers who were causing a crisis of faith in Ephesus and uh, their heir. So Paul turns to the Old Testament for his source of authority once again, and this firm foundation is most likely a reference to the Torah. First, Paul quotes the num- uh, a verse from Numbers. Chapter 16, verse 5, the Lord knows those who are His. And Paul affirms that God knows those who, are truly, who have truly believed in Jesus Christ. These false teachers may be convincing to some people, but the reality is we know who our, where the truth is, we know what the truth is, and we're going to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So before I get started this morning, let me just say, there's not a lot of teaching on this passage. It's amazing. I was just dumbfounded. As I was trying to do some research this week in my studies, And, uh, of course, I always like to just dwell on the Word of God, read it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And when you get done reading over it again, read it again some more. And just kind of get the thoughts and the the ideas of what God is saying in His Word just to stand front and center in what we're trying to teach and what we're trying to learn from God's Word. But then I like to look at somewhat of what other commentaries say about the passage. I was amazed that there's not much on it other than just blah. It's there. But nobody addresses it. It, it. It's amazing. You get down through, I'll down through verse 18, then I'll pick up again verse 20, and hardly anybody touches it. I was just dumbfounded at that. So in these circumstances, as in all study, I just want you to know, I do my best to make sure I understand what God is saying through His Word, and I want to make sure that it's both biblical and accurate. So with that in mind, we're going to kind of draw out some things from 2 Timothy 2, verse 19. And the title of the message this morning is Four Truths to Remember. Four truths to remember. Uh, so let me just read 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19, and then we'll get started this morning. Verse 19 says this, Nevertheless, 
God's solid foundation stands firm. Bearing this inscription, the Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. Lord Jesus, as we come before Your Word this morning, as we, as we proclaim Your Word, I ask God that You would give clarity of thought, speech, and word, Lord, so that it may be easily understood, and that we might be able to apply it to our hearts and our lives this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So four truths to remember. The first one I want to look at this morning is this. God's foundation stands firm. We see that very clear. It says, nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. So what is a foundation? You know, you have to remember, you know, sometimes we want to think that it's more difficult to understand than what it actually is. Let's kind of go back to some basic English and ask, ask the question, what is a foundation? Uh, I don't know about you, but if you enjoy building at all, you have to know that there's, has, there, there's always a necessity of a good foundation. And uh, so a foundation, very simply, is a base upon which a structure sits, a structure upon which something is built. Uh, oftentimes we see here in the north a, a deep foundation. <coughs> we find that oftentimes it goes below the frost line, so that as the earth moves a little bit, it stands firm. Sometimes not so much in the deep south, because you ain't got to have a 55-inch frost line sometimes. You know, it's a little bit different depending on where, where you live and what part of the country you're in. But a foundation, no matter where you are, is important. And without a foundation, you can't build a structure that's going to stand the test of time, right? So it says the foundation of God is stands firm. So we need to remember that. If you have your Bibles, and turn to Luke chapter 6, verses 47 through 49. And let's see just the, how important a foundation is in our lives. Uh, Luke chapter 6 is one of the very first passages I ever preached on when I was a young kid and in high school. In fact, it was the, was the second passage I ever preached on. And uh, it's been one of my favorite texts all along over the years. Luke chapter 6, verses 47 through 49. I want to read those verses just real quickly. Actually, verse 46 is, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep, laid the foundation on the rock, and when the flood came, the river crashed against it, the house, and could not shake it because it was built well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it, and immediately it collapsed. And the destruction of that house was great. You see here one of the first instances in the New Testament about the importance of a foundation. And of course the foundation here is what? Obedience. You see, he gives us a picture here. One who builds, deep, builds a foundation and digs deep and late, makes sure that it is grounded. When the river rises, <coughs> there's no problem. It can handle the storms. But one who doesn't build a deep foundation, it's not grounded in the rock, it's not laid deeply within, within the ground. The river rises and it destroys it because the foundation is weak. And once again, it's a picture of a one who hears the word of God and acts accordingly and obeys it, and the other one who hears the same word but chooses to disobey. So the foundation that he's talking about is a foundation of obedience. And we have to understand that in every one of our lives, the foundation is important. The foundation of obedience, the foundation of the Word of God, the foundation of church. God uses foundations to help us grow, and for us as His structure, as His being, to become strong with it, we need a deep foundation. And if without the foundation, we will fall. So it says the foundation here that we're talking about necessarily in this text is the foundation of the church. I don't know about you, but I love church. 
Uh, someone put on Facebook the other day, says, I'm looking forward to Sunday. It's going to be great. I'm just telling you what, I love every Sunday better than any Super Bowl Sunday. I love coming to church. Y'all know that. I love coming, seeing everybody, talking to everybody. Some of y'all, it's a hug. Some of it's an elbow. Some of it's a fist bump. Some of it's a high five. You know, I, I love seeing everybody in church. This is my favorite place to be. If I, I, there's just no, no, there's no other alternative for me. I love church. My greatest memories growing up revolve around church. The funnest activities I've ever done were at church. I love church. But there is a, there's a world that we live in that says, oh, I can take it or leave it. You know, we grew up in a, in a you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, when generally speaking, if you invite someone to church, they'd come. Today, eh, eh, if I ain't got nothing better to do, maybe I will. If you've got something else going on, eh, it's not a priority. But we see that how the importance of the foundation is being taken away. It's being chipped away at. It's being chiseled away. And it's a foundation, folks, that does not need to be chiseled away. It needs to be built on stronger. Amen? We need the church. We need to, to see that it's going to go forth and stronger as we go forward. The foundation here is the foundation of the church. And despite false teachers and false teachers, or false teaching, the church will stand. As I said before, if you've ever done the history, a study of the history of the Bible, throughout how many times in history somebody has tried to destroy and take away the Bible and get rid of it, they can't do it. And God's word says about the church, the church will stand, though the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We are here on something that's going to last stand the test of time. And I'm so thankful for that. So we know that God's church will stand. And number two, not only will it stand, God's work will not fail. Oh, I think there's times when it goes a little bit better than others, other times. But I think a lot of that's based on we as his children, as his people, how faithful and obedient we are going to be to that, to the call and the charge to build the church of God through Jesus Christ's help. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. And we're going to look at many verses across this across this. Uh, chapter here. 1 John chapter 2. I love this. Beginning of verse 3. It says, This is how we know that we know Him if we keep His commands. The one who says, I have come to know Him and yet doesn't keep His commands is a liar and the truth is not in Him. Oh, that's convicting, isn't it? If we say we know Jesus, I'm amazed at how often, just in fact, the last week I was with someone and said, Hey, do you know Jesus? And they said, Yeah. But there are certain things that must be present in a person who claims that claims to know Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus, you should what? Love him. And if you love him, you'll obey him according to John and Matthew and several verses in the in the apostles or in the in the gospels. If you know him, you'll obey him. If you obey him, it gives credence to the fact that what you say is true. But when we don't obey him, it says, eh, what your words really don't matter." So if you claim to know Jesus, if you claim to be a Christian, your life has to back that up in one way or another. So he says, I have come to know him, and yet he doesn't keep his commands. He's a liar. Wow, harsh words from God's word. Verse 5 says, but whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Oh, he gets a little bit deeper. If you're going to claim to know Jesus and claim to love him and claim to be one of his disciples... You have to walk as he walked. Wow. <clears throat> Question. If the world around us were to talk with us and, and, and get to know us, and then someone else were to come by and say, hey, you know, you know John over there? Oh. What would they say when your name is mentioned? What would they say when my name is mentioned? What would they say when any of our names are mentioned? 
would they know that you're a believer? Would they know that you're a Christ follower? Would they know that you're a child of God? Would they know by your reputation? Someone said a long time ago, if you have a reputation, it's for one reason. You've earned it. What is our reputation amongst the world that we live in? The people that know us. When your name is mentioned, what comes to mind? Well, that's harsh. It says, but whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. So the one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Wow. So, dear, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have heard from the beginning. The old command is the word you have heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command, which is true in him and you, in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him, but the one who hates his brother or sister is in darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he's going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. But here's what he says, verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. And I am writing to you, young men, because you have conquered the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you have come to know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and God's word remains in you and you have conquered the evil one. That's so important. If the foundation of God's going to stand first, because we're going to stand up for what's right. We're going to live what's right. We're not just going to claim it. We're going to live it. And I'll close with these, these verses here. Verses 15 and following says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of, uh, pride of one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. He says, you want to overcome, you've got to stand up for what's right. And we're part of the foundation that's sure, that's going to stand firm. God's work will not fail, but it will stand strong when we are obedient to it. Amen? So then, secondly, uh, the foundation being referred to is the church, and then lastly, it is opposed to the foundations of this world. There's a lot of foundations that people want to build on, but not all of them are good. In fact, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 10 through 15. It says, According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any other foundation than that which has been laid down. The foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this, the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that has, he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss. But he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Think about the foundation of our lives. What is our foundation being built on? Is it being built on the foundation of God's Word? Is it being the found, built on the foundation of Jesus Christ as the example of how we live our lives? Is it being built on the foundation of obedience? God's foundation will stand firm, but man's foundation will fail. Importance, yes. We need to have a, a foundation that's built strong, as Luke 6.47 and following reminds us. But the reality is this. We've got to guard how we build on the foundations of our lives. <clears throat> One day, the foundations will be put to the test. We've said many times there's only two things that will stand the test of time. The souls of men and the Word of God. Everything else is temporal. 
Only two things are eternal, the souls of men and the word of God. Everything else is temporal. What are we building on in our lives? See, so many of us get busy doing so many things, and they're, they're, thing, they're good things in and of themselves. In and of themselves, I mean, who doesn't enjoy helping somebody who's in need? That's a good thing. Who doesn't enjoy giving to those who are less fortunate and have need, and you have the ability to do that? That's a good thing. But the reality is this. If we're building to pat ourselves on the back, if we're building to make ourselves look good, it's temporal. The bottom line is we have to be building towards the things of God, the things that are eternal, the Word of God and the souls of men. So the first truth that we need to remember is that God's foundation stands firm. The second one is this. God has given an inscription or a seal. And this is really cool. It says in our text of Scripture here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, God's solid foundation stands firm, bearing the inscription. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. The second truth is that God has given an inscription or a seal. Here's two things about a seal I want you to remember. Take with you this week. A seal represents or symbolizes ownership, does it not? You remember in days of old when a scroll was written upon, and then it would be rolled up and there would be wax poured on it, and then they would put a signet ring on it to seal the letter. You see, that letter contained a personal message. It was owned by somebody, given to somebody. Seals always represent ownership. And not only that, seals often represent citizenship. And that's amazing for us as children of God. We are owned by God, and our citizenship is with Him in heaven one day, right? So all the struggles of this life, all the pains that we face in this life, all the discouragement that may come into our lives from day to day, from month to month, to year to year, we all know that that's just temporary. Because our citizenship is in heaven, and we've been sealed. In fact, God's Word talks about that in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. Uh, let me get there just for a moment. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 says this, And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You are sealed by Him for the day of redemption. Isn't that going to be a great day? The day of redemption? Think, one day we're going to spend eternity in heaven. And now nothing in this life is going, to come, is going to come close to comparing to that, right? And 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 reminds us, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which you have got, and you are not your own. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your spirit and body, which are His. You know, we are sealed. God has given us a seal. We belong to Him. And one day we'll spend eternity with him as his children. So we have a seal. And then he says what the seal is specifically. Number three, the third truth. God knows those who are his. And this is actually taken from the book of Numbers. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, chapter 16, verses 4 and 5. I love this. Verse 4 says this. When Moses heard this, he fell face down, then he said to Korah and all his followers, Tomorrow morning the Lord will reveal who belongs to him, who is set apart, and the one who will, he will let come near him. He will let the one he chooses come near him. The Lord knows those that are his. You know, here's the thing. There's a lot of people who try to hide the fact that they're really not Christians, but they want to look like they are. They want to blend in. 
they have a Bible they bring to church every week. They kind of blend in. They got a Bible just like everyone else does. You know, they kind of talk the lingo and kind of act like they're, you know, one of the, one of the rest of us. But the reality is God knows whether or not you're truly his. And that should be a, a, of concern to us because we can hide a lot of things from a lot of people, but we cannot hide the truth from God, right? So there's nothing we can hide. We can hide from our friends. We can hide from we can hide from our family, but we cannot hide it from God. He knows whether or not we're truly His. And we ought to be concerned about that. And Romans chapter 8, verse 16 says, um, The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. So think about that. If we are truly His, our spirit will bear witness with His spirit that we are truly His child. And if you're not, that's something you ought to consider. If you're not truly a Christian, that's something you ought to consider. If you truly don't you know Jesus Christ, that's something you ought to consider. You say, well, is it really that big a deal? That is just maybe your opinion, or this may be my opinion, or whatever, but how do you know you're right and I'm not right, or how you're wrong and I'm not wrong, and how, how do you know? It comes down to one thing, God's Word. Some people you say, well, God's Word says it, I believe it, that settles it. It doesn't matter whether you believe it. God's Word said it, it settles it. The reality is, it doesn't matter whether you believe it, it's truth, right? And so we have to base what we know, what we believe, off this book and nothing else. Because when it comes down to it, and God's Word verifies this over and over, is that it doesn't matter what my opinion is. It doesn't matter what my experiences are. It doesn't really matter what I think versus what you think. It matters what God's Word says. And so the reality is, he said, God knows who are His. And if we're truly His, our spirit will bear witness with His spirit that we are truly His. And if we are his, just as we talked last week, just as we stand up before God's people and we, in the waters of baptism, we put to death the old man and we rise in newness of life. And the reality is old things are passed away, all things become new. Our life must reflect what we say is in our heart. Because actions speak louder than words. We have to make sure that we understand that. I love these next couple of verses. How much confidence can we have how much confidence can we truly have that God knows us? Look at Psalm 147, verse 4. Psalm 147, verse 4. I love this verse. And it's easier for God for some than others, just so you know. Um, and you'll understand what I'm saying here in just a moment. 147, verse 4 says this. He counts the number of the stars. He gives names to all of them. Think about that just for a moment. Can you imagine how many stars there are? Can you fathom that? Think about that. I mentioned in Sunday school this morning, Louis Giglio has that thing about the universe. And he has this big black canvas and all these little white dots. And all of a sudden he zooms in on one of those white dots. And then comes a big black canvas again, filled full of dots, white dots. And then he zooms into another one of those little white dots does it a third time and narrows in on that white dot and then expands out into a black canopy and says, that's just the Milky Way. That's just the Milky Way. The one that what we know of exists in. We don't even know how many stars are out there. We have no idea. You can't count that high. No one can count that high. It's got to be just whatever astronomical number with a bazillion zeros after it of how many stars there are. And he says, I know the stars and I count them by name. That's an incredible... Can you imagine? Matthew chapter 10, turn over there just for a moment. 
And this is where I said it's easier for God for some than others. Matthew chapter 10. And verse 30 and 31 says, But even the hairs of your head have all been counted. For some of you, he has a really easy time for it. Others of you has to work a couple, you know, take some couple seconds, count them. He says, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Think about that. If God knows the stars that are out there in the universe and the galaxies and the, I don't even know what you call it all. It's just, it's so many stars. If God knows them and can count them by name, he knows the number of hairs upon your head. Turn back just a couple chapters to Matthew chapter 6. Look at verse 25. He says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. What, will you, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? I want you to think about these things just for a moment. If God knows the number of stars in the galaxy, in the universe, if God knows the number of hairs on your head, and then he says, aren't you more valuable than anything else? He knows whose are his. You may not know, but he knows. In fact, he says there's a book he talks about in the book of Revelation, the Lamb's Book of Life. And he said, only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life will inherit eternal life. You see, there's a lot of things that a lot of people believe. But it's not all true. But I know that this is true, that God does know whose are His. You can hide it from the world, but you can't hide it from God. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, that's the most important decision you could ever make. What changes when you trust Jesus Christ? Everything. Everything changes. How we live. We have new purpose. New, de- new desires. A new focus in life. We have someone else to please other than ourselves. This whole world is used to, of pleasing self. Looking out for number one rather than the one. Right? And the reality is we're supposed to be living for the one, not number one. Things change when you know Jesus. It's no longer about you. Not that it ever has been, but we sure try to make it like it's all about us. It's all about Him. And knowing Jesus and making sure He knows you is important. Do you know Him? You might be here this morning and say, well, I don't really know that I'm a Christian. I'm not really, I'm not one of those churchy people. That's not what I really ask you. Because knowing Jesus is not about going to church. Knowing Jesus is not about being a Baptist or a Catholic or a Lutheran or a Church of God, Church of Christ or anything else. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know Him? Because He knows whether or not you're His. And if you don't, that's the greatest decision you can ever make. And then number four, God's desire for His own is that they turn from wickedness. You see, there's a change that takes place. All those that put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ says they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new, right? So everything changes when we know Jesus Christ. We're no longer living for self. No longer living for what this life has to offer. We found out in 1 John 2, everything that this world has to offer, the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, 
and the pride of life or the pride in one's possessions, it's all going to fast away. It's all going to fail. But the reality is that God's desire for His own is that they turn from wickedness. We should want to turn from wickedness if we're His. We should want that. In fact, Numbers chapter 16 once again reminds us of this. Numbers chapter 16 verses 26 and 27 says this. He warned the community, get away now from the tents of these wicked men. Don't touch anything that belongs to them or you'll be swept away because of all their sins. Think about that just for a moment. Then verse 27. So they got away from the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Meanwhile, Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the entrance of the tents with their wives, children, and infants. He said, get away from their tents. If there's wickedness there, if there's sinfulness there, get away from it. Over and over, this is something I've preached to my kids since they were little kids. You've heard the phrase before, birds of a feather flock together. We talked a little bit this morning about reputation. What is our reputation? When somebody else mentions our name, what's the first thing that comes to our mind? Is it liar? Is it cheat? Is it immoral? Is it dishonest? Or is it kind, loving, helpful, honest, loves people? Or bitterness? Or hateful? What, what words comes to your mind when you're, if your name were to be mentioned in public to the people that know you and see you? Birds of a feather flock together. Here's the difference. There are people that live in the world that we're trying to reach for Jesus Christ, right? Right? It doesn't mean that we're not in the world. It says we have to be in the world, but we're not to be of the world. The same things that the world lives for shouldn't be the things that we live for. The things that drive them shouldn't be the things that drive us. There ought to be somewhat different, a different set of goals and agendas for the child of God versus the person who's not a child of God. Can we agree with that? There ought to be a difference. So it's not like we're trying to live inside of a bubble that's inside a bigger bubble in the world. That's not what we're here to do. We must have a, an ability to reach those around us. But we have to guard ourselves as well. Because there comes a point that if their influence begins to have an effect on us, we have to be careful with that. The things of this world shouldn't have impact on us. We should have impact on the world. And birds of a feather flock together. When somebody has a reputation of being a druggie or an alcoholic or a, or a wife abuser or a whatever, fill in the blank, and you're spending all your the point that people begin to say, well, you must be just like them. You've got to guard that. Because we can't let them influence us. We have to take the Word of God and live what's honest and obedient before God and influence them, right? Let's be careful there. Can't get out of the world, otherwise we'll have no influence in the world. But we have to guard our, our reputation before Jesus Christ. We have a testimony to uphold. Can't live like the world and claim to be a Christian. Can't stand for the things that the world stands for and claim to be a Christian. There has to be a difference amongst us. In Isaiah chapter 52, in verse 11, says, leave, leave, go out from there. Do not touch anything unclean. Go from her. Purify yourselves, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. He's making a point here. Run from that which is wicked. Turn your back on that which is evil. If something is sinful, get away from it. 
That's the point. In fact, Romans puts it this way. Abhor that which is evil, cling to what is good. Is that our reputation? Is that our testimony? That we run from what we know is sinful? That we turn our back from what we know is wicked? That's very important for all of us to consider. That's why he says it right there in our text in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. I'm thankful that it's firm. Nobody's going to destroy the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus Christ is our chief cornerstone. We're not, it's not going anywhere. His foundation is sure. If His foundation is sure and we build our foundation on that foundation, we can stand firm. But it's built on obedience. Secondly, the Lord knows who, or has given us a seal. We're sealed. I'm thankful that my salvation is secure. I'm thankful that no one can take it away. But I don't want to just go in kicking and screaming. I want to go in having done what's right. I want to go in having been obedient, right? Number three, God knows those who are His. Do you know that you're His? Are you certain of that? You say, once again, Pastor, that's just your opinion. No, it's God's opinion. It's His opinion. And the reality is, you can hide it from others, but you can't hide it from Him. He knows if you're His. And I challenge you to know that as well. And number four, God's desire for His own is that they turn from wickedness. Is that your desire? To turn from things that we know are wicked? From turn to things that we know are evil? Turn from the things that don't please our Heavenly Father? His desire is that we turn. I don't know about you, but I, that's my desire. When I read through this verse, it gives me hope. Because I know that His foundation is true. I know it's sure. It's not going anywhere. I can put my hope on it. I know that. I know that I'm sealed. Nobody's going to take that away. I know that I'm His. He knows that I'm His. That's hope. And number four, I have no desire to live in wickedness. I have no desire to live for the things that this world has to offer when it comes to me either choosing God or the things of this world. I want to turn my back on the things that are wicked. I want to turn my back. You should want that. All of us should want that, right? So that's our challenge today, to apply these things to daily life. Let's pray.